Hello, my friends, and welcome to this edition of the New World Kirtan Podcast. It's Thursday, June 23rd, 2016. I'm Kitsy Stern, and I produce the podcast as an act of love and service to our global Kirtan family. And it's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. I'm going to keep my intro short since the latest podcast was released just a few days ago. This show is the third and last of the series on where Western Kirtan is headed and features the second part of my conversation with Jai Utal and Ben Leinbach and a talk with Nina Rao, where she'll tell us her view of the current Kirtan scene, what happened with Sirius XM's Krishna Das channel, and how KD is doing on his sabbatical. On the listener survey, several of you said that my conversations with these various artists have gotten you thinking about the issues that have come up. If that impacts the choices you make around buying their music, I'm really glad because that was the point of doing these podcasts. Let's pull together to support our artists. Speaking of the survey, I'd like to tell you about some of the results. Thanks to all of you who took the time to answer. It was so great to hear from you. Thank you also for your kind comments and the words of encouragement. First of all, your preferences are certainly for the music. The top three podcast flavors were a set of Kirtan chants built around a theme, the fresh track sets, and deeper exploration of the meaning of mantras. This was closely followed by the Kirtan meditation circle sets and the live sets from festivals. You'd like us to feature more music from the Kundalini tradition, so I'm working on that. You told me how you listen to the podcast, and it was really interesting to read about how you're integrating it into your life and your practice. You'd like to hear more about what it takes to lead kirtan and how others are practicing kirtan within their communities. You'd also value discussion about how to integrate the practice into your life. You'd like more exposure and information on the roots of kirtan. I'm so very happy you're discovering new artists through the Fresh Track sets. Many of you said you've been listening to the podcast for years, and you like the current format, including introductions such as this. You tell me you can relate to where I am with my life and my practice. Many of you told me how the podcast introduced you to Kirtan, how it has influenced your life, how it got you through some tough times, how it has helped you to deepen your spiritual practice. Thank you for taking the time to tell me these things and for your appreciation. I produce this podcast for you, and I've gotten back so much more than what I put in. Producing it is my way of giving gratitude back. It's a beautiful circle. Thank you for listening all these years, my friends. And I feel so blessed we're on this journey together. Until next time, namaste. So how do we expand the audience? You know, I mean, uh, Wa brought up um, perhaps the yoga community. hmm. She said that the yoga community is is rejecting kirtan. Would you find that to be true? Some parts of the yoga community, yeah. I I remember last time I was in L.A. driving around and seeing a big yoga school that said um, something yoga. I don't remember the name of it. It said no chanting no mantra no om really oh oh oh! and it said no namaste <laughs> wait 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 they advertise that like on the wall of the building whoa um then what was it just purely physical exercise and no spiritual component at all well i i guess i didn't go in 
think that's happening though. I think it's becoming more like uh, more of a corporate exercise routine when people oh, do lunch break. God, that's so sad. And Town still is growing, but it's certainly not growing the way the the corporate world of yoga is growing because yoga is huge. Um, but I think many people, like for example, this is kind of weird. Uh, my, the record company who I've worked with a lot sounds true. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're just lovely people and I really like them. They, well, I did, you know, several years ago, a kid's album um, called Kirtan Kids. Yeah, and, it's great. Uh, I just love it. And, and I, they asked me, you know, sounds true being a spoken word company. They always want to hear some words. So they asked me to tell some stories. So I did. And, um, then they felt that the CD was not successful, successful meaning in terms of their sales and stuff, because in the stories I mentioned God mm-hmm. and, I like, well, I first said to them, okay, well, just reprint it without the stories. But they didn't want to do that. And then I thought, well, but then I said, but how on earth, how on earth am I going to talk about a devotional practice like Kirtan and, and about the gods and goddesses and the deities and, and just the whole context? And how am I going to do that and, and not say the word God? That would be like absurd. Um, I mean, I could probably somehow figure out a way to word it, but it's contrary to my nature and, it, and it's contrary to my belief. So, you know, so anyway, that, that I think that's an example of people wanting a bit of the exotic, but as long as it doesn't touch on their own doc, indoctrinated uh, whew, fear of spirituality. God, that's so right. sad. What are you going to do? with chanting if you can't talk about God because we're singing the names of God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think it's so ironic that that people are longing for something and they don't know what it is. And my theory is that it's God, but they can't reconcile that with their negative, negative impressions about God in this yeah. culture. And, and that's true. It's unfortunate that, yeah. that, that G-O-D conjures up all sorts of anxiety with people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dave Stringer does a, does a good, um, he has a, his approach is that it, the science of group, of group chanting and you know, what it does to the molecules and what it does to the consciousness and stuff. And there you go. I, but, but you know, I just, I can't do that because that's, that's not the way I think. I don't approach it in that way at all. But I, but I respect that. The way he does it seems to draw, well, maybe a different group of people in. Well, it, it draws the people in. And, and actually, I think his approach is a really good one. And I use it uh, at the Unitarian Church because there are a lot of people in that church who are very science-based. And, yeah. uh, and so, they're, and so I, I present Kirtan as a great tool. It's a great tool because you can use it to quiet your mind, and we're all looking for methods to quiet our mind. And and so, you know, I mean, if you look at the spectrum of chanting, right, I mean, all the way on one side is the neurophysiology of it, and you can do it purely for that. And then all the way on the other side is Russell Paul's approach with the, it's it's all about God. So somewhere in that continuum, you know, a lot of people are going to land, but the qu- thing is, is how do you get people past the initial uh, kind of 
I don't know, rejection of it because it's kind of weird? Well, myself, I, I have, well, I will say I never think about that, but I, but I will say that I never act on that, that for better or for worse, <laughs> you know, this is not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not like saying I'm great or nothing because of this, but I've only always, I've always only been able to do it as, be as authentic as I could, can be. And probably to my career detriment, you know, but for me, it's a completely internal devotional healing practice, um, praying, singing to God. And that's the way I've always presented it. And, and I've never, uh, you know, altered what I do in order to get a wider, you know, reach of an audience. I, uh, that's probably a big mistake, but I, it's just the way I've been. So at, at Kirtan Camps, I'm almost always asked the question by people who are leading small kirtans in, the, in, their, in their towns or in their cities, you know, kind of like you. And, and they ask me, well, how can I make this more accessible? more accessible for people? How can I get more people to come? What, what should I do, um, you know, to not alienate people? And I, and I always say, and, and I, you know, again, I, I don't give advice unless it's asked. And even then I always say, well, my advice could very possibly be completely wrong. But that being said, what I answer is that the best thing you have to offer is the most authentic, deepest, uh, most honest, uh, being that you are. Mm. If you need to alter yourself in order to try to draw more people in, then you're not giving the best of yourself. Uh, Kirtan is, you know, at, at, at the very bottom line, it's, it's, it's your heart connection to God, however you want to conceive of God. And, and if you like water that down in order to bring more people in, then what you're giving isn't, isn't, isn't that great. And that, but on the other hand, if you're completely authentic and completely honest and completely real, well, the people who resonate with you will show up and the people who don't resonate with you won't. And ultimately that's what you want, you know, such great advice. Um, And, you know, then, then as far as if someone's financially dependent on the kirtan, my advice is still the same because whether it works or not as a, as a career, you know, that that's just the strangest. I mean, I can't even talk about it because it's, we just don't know where that's at, but, but for it to work as a spiritual practice and as a spiritual heart sharing with others, it's only as good as the amount of honesty and authenticity and just realness that one puts into it. So, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful way to put that. You know, uh, honestly, kids, it's not what it's often not what people want to hear. Yeah. One girl said to me she was doing a big thing. She was at a um, she was got invited by some festival to sing kirtan for like fifteen minutes. Uh, um, it wasn't a you know spiritual festival or yoga festival, and she said that she thought if she said the word Krishna, she would alienate people. And and well. Maybe she would, but I said to her, you know, 
you're being invited to to give your highest and and if you can't say this word that contains so much beauty and so much spirit and so much everything if you're afraid to say that that because it will alienate people well i think you're just sort of standing on the wrong foot hmm that's great but there's so much baggage around that particular chant, and I, I hear what she's saying, and I, I think I'm, I'm on kind of like a, a mission to, uh, at least in my community, to to kind of remove some of that baggage because it's such an incredibly powerful chant. Yeah. yeah. You just have to do it a couple of times, and then you're over it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're younger than we are. You know, I, mean, I still have those images of people in the airport and it was always just you know kind of just really sort of strange the whole thing but do you know it's kind of ironic again you know that the, the thing that pe- that could really help people the most in the Kali Yuga I mean a Hare Krishna chant is supposed to be the specific medicine for us in the Kali Yuga the thing that, that will help pull us through this age of darkness and uh, it, again it's ironic that people you know don't want to do this because of their preconceived notions of how weird it is. Uh, well, it was, you know, the first generation of the Hare Krishna movement in America was very off-putting. But but the, the new generation is not, you know. No, we're, we're, not we're at all. Best friends with so many yeah, young, young nice. Hare Krishnas. Some of the nicest people I've ever met. Oh, yeah. I mean, really great. And young people don't have, I should say young people, younger people don't have that association. Yeah. Uh, and and to them, it uh, you know, I mean, they can see it for what it really is without that overlay. And um, and here here we are. I'm about to go over to Ben's because we're finishing up an album. And actually, dare I say it, it's a double album. Oh, you know, this whole conversation, you know, oh CDs, it's it's over. Nobody's buying CDs. Why bother? And here we are bothering. Oh, and, I'm so and, glad uh, you're bothering. I'm so so glad. <laughs> there's there's like a, a vague ironic question mark over my head though. Like, what am I doing this for? Um, well, I'm hoping that people will hear it, that it will, you know, be noticed. Let's just say that. Just be noticed. Well, as someone who is just very glad that you guys are making this, um, I know it'll be noticed, and the people who love you will love you for doing it. <laughs> open up their pocketbooks. Yes. Well, yeah. hopefully this, you know, will will make a difference. And um, I just hope it's the beginning, you know, of a conversation that perhaps will continue and we can just try to make this work for, for our community, for our, this community. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a goal. So thank you for helping. I'm so happy to welcome Nina Rao to the program, and uh, she is going to talk about some of these issues that we've been talking about with other Kirtan Wallace, and I'm just so happy that you're here. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for calling on me, Kitty. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So um, a lot of issues have come up in conversations <clears throat> with the other Wallace that I've talked to. Uh, each seems to have their own take on the situation, but all seem to agree that... <clears throat> Kirtan Walla compensation and uh, the way Kirtan is compensated is in a crisis situation. Um, these guys can't make any money. And it's sort of, Wa described it as sort of a perfect storm with uh, streaming and people not coming out for concerts, people not supporting live Kirtan, uh, yoga studios pulling away from Kirtan. And I'm, I'm just 
I'm wondering what you're seeing in your community in New York. Well, there are a couple of things. Um, the two sides of being Kirtanwala, one is singing live and the other is having recordings, right? Yeah. So definitely in my experience with, um, with Krishnadas, you know, because he's been recording as his wa for many years and have, they have multiple CDs out, it's one can't rely anymore on income from uh, albums, I'm afraid. It's just how it is. And it's really kind of sad because the artist, because everybody's streaming and because there are outlets that are not even actually proper music outlets, like things like YouTube, mm -hmm. where can, and, you know, artists have their music posted, they go, it goes up for free. And, um, I mean, most people listen to Krishnas on YouTube, if you can imagine this. Really? Yeah. I, and these are people who love him and know him and, and everything. And I'll say, well, do you have the CD? Oh, well, I, I, I'll just get it. I'll just I'll find it on YouTube. Wow. It's not even that it's Spotify or, you know, a valid streaming station that actually pays royalties per play, albeit very tiny, mm. um, to the artist. So that's just become a way, that's just become a, a, a place where we can't rely on any income. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Um, you know, there are artists like Prince, you know, and in the recent uh, reading about the way he conducted his business, where he didn't allow any of his music to be on YouTube. He was able to do that. Mm. But every time I, I go on YouTube and I try to remove certain things that are up there that are of KDs, you know, it's mm. impossible. It's pretty much impossible because it's uh, it's like weeds. They come up every time you pull out one, another one comes up. Right. So nothing to be done. And the other side of it is, is that when I've approached people who've put his music up there, they say, well, we're supporting you. More people are hearing your music by, by us putting it up. You know, you should be grateful to us. So there are all kinds of issues with the way music is, is heard these days, unfortunately. So the, the, Fan, you know, the base of people that we're relying on are really is KD's core fan base um, of people who want to buy his CD when he puts it out. And that's where the Kickstarter campaign kind of came in. You know, those are the people who really wanted to support him from the beginning. And they funded the making of Kirtanwala, you know. Hmm. But yeah, there's not much money to be made from streaming. That's a fact. Yes, uh, when even Beyonce can't make money from streaming. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something that I didn't realize with it was that it really, it, it, it was put in place without any input or minimal input from artists as to what is the price point? Well, iTunes decided the price point was 99 cents. Yeah. And that doesn't begin to cover uh, expenses for artists. Well, that's 99 cents to buy a track. Yeah. I mean, the streaming is, you know fractions of a cent yes. basically so it's a different thing yeah yes yes but they're all combining and it's um yeah so have you seen things change in new york in the new york area with the way things uh, with bookings and uh where where are most of your bookings are they in yoga studios or in there are they in churches are you talking about Krishnadas or me? Well, I could I could ask you because you're in a different scene than Krishnadas, but I think Krishnadas is probably too small, uh, too big. I mean, to play at yoga studios these days, isn't yeah, he? yeah, he does. That's why I wanted to just ask you. I mean, for yeah. him, it's a different kind of thing. He's 
moved out of the yoga studio setting just because uh, we can't fit the any, the right number of people in there. So the way we book him is a very different thing. We, you know, we get outside venues and people come from all around. Like, for example, we're doing, even though he's on his travel hiatus, he's doing something in New Jersey soon. And, you know, people will come from all the surrounding areas and come. So it's a different thing for him. But for a small, relatively unknown chanter as I am, um, the yoga studios have never been a place where um, we can make any money chanting. I don't think, for myself personally, I don't think about it that way. I haven't had... Um, I've never thought of myself as a career chanter, if I can use those words. You know, I happen to chant, but I have a full-time job. So my chanting is really done because I love to do it and I don't have to make money doing it. That's the reality of it for me. Yeah. Would I like to make some money? Sure. And I do make enough money so that I can pay um, my musicians who accompany me cover gas. And if I have to stay over somewhere, that's always helpful for me. So, um, I don't actually look at it that way for myself, but even just recently something came up where I was singing at a yoga studio and somebody said, well, can we make the door charge $20? Now this is in Brooklyn. Okay. Now mm -hmm. I live in Brooklyn and I sing in Brooklyn regularly. And I felt myself, I said to the studio, I said, it's too much. People aren't going to pay $20 to see me because they get to see me for, uh, you know, $5 at a donation-based place like in the next neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So they, it's not a place to make money, unfortunately. But when I travel outside New York and I go to places where there aren't local kirtanwalas, like you were describing your situation to me earlier where you are, mm. when there aren't local kirtanwalas, then when the community comes to chant with you they will pay something because they don't go so regularly here we have people coming every week yeah that's very so, different than here it's very different people come every week to um we have like a small group of us that kind of rotate through rotate around um and sing we all sing at least once or twice a month in brooklyn hmm. so it's impossible to really charge a, a ticket fee of 20 bucks it doesn't work yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the economics of touring dictate that that's what the price should be, and I, I think it's pretty reasonable, but there's also the school that says that you shouldn't have to pay for kirtan at all. Well, see, this is all very, very tricky. I mean, essentially, people will pay what they want to pay. So if, a, if they want to go to a yoga class, they'll pay $18 or $20, which is what it costs in New York now for a yoga class. Mm. Um, if they really wanted to come and chant uh, once a week and pay $20, they would. But I don't think there's that kind of demand for chanting as there is for yoga classes. So you can't have that expectation. It's may not, it may not be what we like to hear, but that's the truth of the matter. People are willing to pay $20 a day or $15 a day or they buy a package or whatever to go to yoga classes, but they won't pay $20 a week to come and chant. Yeah. And it's not, you know, so that's the truth of the matter. Period. End of story. So, you know, Mike Cohen, 
he brought up the mindfulness example about how mindfulness has been rebranded and now mindfulness is everywhere. And perhaps it might be good to take kirtan, even though it's a branch of yoga, uh, take it out of the yoga community and, and market it more. Well, you know, this is all corporate speak, but market it as uh, more of a meditation technique. And people are always trying to find ways to calm their mind. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that might be a way especially since the yoga world appears to be, in some cases, turning away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's an idea. Of course, this is all, you know, in the future, but getting people talking about it and perhaps uh, shifting things um, is maybe the first start. Well, that's the way I talk about it. I don't yeah. know how other people talk about it. I mean, we, the word bhakti is thrown around a lot, you know, devotion and so forth. Um, but... At the end of the day, when you describe the practice, it really is a way in which to quiet the mind, which is what mindfulness, meditation, and all this is about. So it's just that, you know, we use words, and these are, you know, sacred syllables that are um, unfamiliar to people. You can talk about mindfulness in a very different way with English words, English language that people are very comfortable with. But ultimately, when you're chanting, you're chanting unfamiliar words, right? Yes. And um, that leads to some people thinking it might be brainwashing, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of yoga studios, you know, those who are in the traditional practice of teaching yoga, they use the original posture uh, names, you know, the Sanskrit Mm -hmm. words. Um, But I know in many yoga studios, they don't use those names anymore. Hmm. they've turned them into whatever English words are useful and helpful for people to remember and not get into the traditional teaching methods of, of yoga. That's the choice. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, and going back to the whole thing about Kirtanwalas in India and how they make money, Kitsi, that first of all, there isn't a lot of chanting that's going on in um, theaters and auditoriums. It, it doesn't happen in India in that way. Those kind of concerts are classical music concerts. It's a very different thing. Spiritual, devotional chanting is happening in temples and temple auditoriums. Hmm. And those who are chanting there are usually just community members. And in smaller temples, the kirtanwalas who are coming to sing, it's very simple. They're given a bed and food. And they sing. And they live there. They don't tour. They come and stay in the temple for a whole season. And that's all they do from morning till night. They don't have social media platforms. They don't have websites. They don't have recordings. (laughs) That's so different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think it was Madi who brought up that, uh, you know, wealthy patrons will... But you know, wealthy patrons, they support the temples. The temples support support the kirtanwalas. And some temples will make recordings of their kirtan. You know, if they have very good artists, they, they make recordings. And they sell them in the temple shop. Hmm. When you know that people aren't going to pay that kind of money, it's just there isn't that kind of demand for it. That's the way I see it. And there are certain people who say it should be free. Um, okay, 
then you, you know then you have to go to places where it's offered for free you go to the local temple in in queens they have chanting there hmm. and it doesn't cost anything it's just it gets difficult when you start to want to make a career as a touring kirtanwala in and with this western in this western kind of way of looking at it i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it it's just an expectation i think that's very hard to um fulfill there are enough people who've been trying it for a long time and yeah. you know haven't been able to get through it satisfactorily as you're hearing from the interviews with them yes yes yeah. um and wa was of the opinion that perhaps it will go to uh smaller neighborhoods and the um you know the the touring will not be happening anymore and she it's, said maybe that's what it is evolving to it might be because that's really how it is um it's meant to be a community practice you know yeah. it's meant to be what a very grassroots kind of practice where you don't have to wait from someone to come for someone to come from the outside and show you how to do it you just do it i mean that's how i heard it the first time the first time i heard chanting was in my grandfather's living room in a tiny village in south india and the people who were singing were my grandfather and other people who lived in the village that's what they did so that's the practice and you know it's very difficult to look at you know cuz you do have certain people like um krishnas and you know maybe deva pramal and nitin who have large audiences i i don't know if it's going to remain that way if it's going to change who knows but ultimately the practice the as the you know as the um teachers say and as the scriptures say is that in this in this age in this age of kali yuga chanting of the name is the only thing that's going to help us get through with a certain amount of open heartedness and compassion and courage and so in order for that to happen it has to become a pretty regular practice in order for it to be a regular practice it has to be in our households in our homes which means we can't be waiting for a big artist to come through town right yes <laughs> yes and that's you know and that's the double edged sword because yeah. the the band keeps it going when the big artists in between the time that the big artists come through but actually the local band is the point yeah and and the bigger artists are the bling even though the the bigger artists can bring something to people's practice that the local band can't sure you know so that actually can catapult your practice uh that can catapult your practice and that's why i support it within within our community bringing absolutely up, people know? should come I, yeah. i'm not i'm not uh, disagreeing with that i'm just saying the way i can see it it's all filtered down and branched out you know the roots have grown into the ground and they're spreading Yeah. And everybody's just doing their own own little practice in the way that they like to do it. And so. perhaps that's just the way it's going to evolve. Uh you know, the festivals are having trouble making money and Yeah. And uh you know, it is like a a huge it's a wonderful coming together of people at a festival. Yes. And and you know, it's like I've heard Bhakti Fest described as the Kirtan Wallas trade show. because everybody gets to get I mean on the professional musician level it's mm. it's a it's a huge thing and it's also on the level of participants a, a, a huge wonderful thing but you know it's not 
it doesn't appear to be sustainable. And that's just sad uh, that mm-hmm. we can't. I mean, can you create? Are, are, do you think that there is a way of creating a sustainable model for that? I doubt it. If they haven't been able to kind of figure it out right now, um, because if you look at what it costs to go to a festival, it's really not that expensive. I mean, in the scheme of things, if anybody is to travel somewhere to go and do something, it seems to me like, like, let's take Bhakti Fest, for example, as a festival. They've tried to make it as accessible to people. You know, there's camping available. You can stay in motels. You know, you don't. There's no rigidity around that. You could have a camper. You could sleep under the stars. It doesn't matter. And what all you're paying for is to go and um, immerse yourself in whatever teachings. And there's lots of stuff going on in there. It's not just the chanting. They've got amazing yoga teachers. They have meditation teachers, all kinds of modalities. You know, lots of people who are doing some really wonderful stuff. And People who go to these festivals, they just go from one thing to another mm. because it's it's a great... So in that way, it's like a trade show. It's a great way to get a taste of everything with the teachers, you know, real live in front of you. The other thing, Kitsi, I'll say that's happening is that with more and more things being available online um, through webinars and online courses and stuff like that... Um, it seems to me that people are going to travel, I, which is, I'm not comparing it to a live experience because a live experience is a live experience. But if as more and more stuff is being available online, it might be that more people will choose to go that route because it's less expensive. Yes, well. You know, and more flexible time-wise, you know, all kinds of things. Yes, I, I am, I mean, I do that with yoga because I can't, that a class and it's just a lot more convenient to go and do it online. Um, exactly. And I'm as guilty as the next person of all these things, but uh, you, but it doesn't compare to getting out and and being with people and having an experience together with people. Um, no, this is that less and less people are willing to do that, and um, and I, less and less people are willing to spend any money on anything. I guess so, but there must be a reason for that, you know. They don't have it right. to spend, or they're choosing to spend it on other things. Which who knows? Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, we have there are kumbh melas in India where um, people come together. Sadhus come from everywhere. You know, it's a different kind of tradition altogether. This is more of a business model where people have to get paid, expenses have to get covered. Mm. It's it's a different thing. I I honestly I can't comment on that because I've never done it myself. So who's to know? But you know I do events for Krishnadas and and I um and I know what it takes to produce something. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so I think it's wonderful that he's been able to, Sridhar has been able to keep it going. You know this time and there are all kinds of other festivals that I haven't actually even been to. Um, Hanuman festival and and smaller festivals around the place. I, mm. You might have seen them. Have you been to any of those? I mean, I went to Shasta last year. Yeah, I don't know anything about those. Is it, a, how do they, do they have chanting there? Yes, it was primarily uh, Kirtan, although Shasta did have, uh, did have yoga classes. Mm. Um, that was a small one. I don't think they're coming back this year. I don't think Pranafest either will be back. They were two smaller ones. Mm. I loved 
I loved them, uh, the, the feeling of them. Yeah. Uh, I'd never experienced anything other than Bhakti Fest. And to be able to experience a smaller festival was quite wonderful. So, sure, sure. Um, so I'm going to go to Omega this year, Fall Omega and the Love Like Festival. I'll be at both of them. And the thing about the festivals that's different from Omega, as you'll see, is Omega doesn't have multiple events happening simultaneously. So it's much more of a retreat feel, like there's one stage, one act, and everybody is either in there or they're not. Ah, uh, uh. It's a very different thing. In fact, it's, it's, you can really immerse yourself, and the group becomes very cohesive because you're kind of all together doing the same thing all the time. Mm. Uh, so it's nice. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, love, I love that chant weekend. Yeah, that's what I hear consistently, and I and I haven't been able to go to it yet. But this, so this will be my first time. I'm really looking forward to it. But um, you know, being able to experience these things is um, I don't I, I don't know. I wouldn't want them to disappear, but finding a model that works is uh, yeah. has been challenging. Um, I know. But um, one thing that happened that uh, that I'd like to talk about that several artists have mentioned is the Krishna Das serious. Uh, channel was created and several artists have mentioned what a service it was to the artists that Krishna Das had this channel created by Sirius so that um, their music could be featured and as I understand it Sirius up until just a few months ago was a terrestrial the KD's channel was a terrestrial channel and so artists were being paid uh, terrestrial royalties for the music that was being played and several months ago uh Sirius moved Katie's channel to internet and all of those royalties are gone I just wondered if you'd like to to comment or just fill us in a little bit on on that yeah well I'll just give you a little background on how it all happened in the first place and um it was very simple Kitsy Sirius XM uh approached us they sent an email and said we want to create um, a yoga radio channel. And we thought, who better than to have the name Krishna Das associated with the channel? Uh, because when, when he's kind of synonymous with, you know, yoga music in this country. And that's the way they saw it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when we went to have a meeting with them, it was very simply put that the channel, channel would be cre uh, curated by Krishna Das. He has a final word on everything that goes up, and uh, there's no advertising on the channel, and he's also not paid anything for the channel. Hmm. So our first thought when we did this was like, okay, well, fine, that's great. Um, so we'll just it will just be an, a nice place for us to, since we all listen to music, and, and when I say we, I mean him and me and you know a lot of other people who are involved in this world of chanting. Um, there are things that we listen to that we get inspired by, um, that we've heard. And so, yeah, let's make a, a yoga radio channel, just expose more people to, to this kind of music. That was how it started. There was no discussion. We had no idea of what the royalties were going to be like. Like, none of that was in the discussions with us at all. We were mm. just responsible for curating the channel. Um, so it was only later that we learned how the royalties were getting played out, uh, paid out, how they're calculated and 
and so forth. And it was, it was rather surprising for all of us. None of us expected that it was going to be this way. It's an interesting model because they have this subscriber base. Um, and then the, the way in which Sirius pays is, is um, taking a multiple and assigning it to each play of a track it's mm. a it's a it's that's how the the formula works and it wasn't based on any percentage in the way that i think traditional radio was paid is paid and certainly not digital radio um internet radio that is so it was great for a while you know but like i said it was ne it's not part of the contract it's not anything we ever discussed the monies came through the outlets that they came through and many people were explaining how good it was for them and um, but we were always just sticking to the idea that we want to put the music up there that we think will is stays in line with chanting and chanting as a path or spiritual or sacred music as a path. And that was the goal, and that's the music that we put up there. They That was when we started the channel in 2002, and it was just continuing, and we kept adding music. And it was uh, late last year that basically... Sirius XM said to us that they were going to move the channel from what's called Krishnadas Yoga Radio, and it was channel 360 on their satellite radio system. Uh, they were going to, it was no longer going to be available there, but they were moving more and more to a, a digital platform like all the other services, and um, and that's where Krishnas Yoga Radio was going to be. It wasn't going to be available on the satellite radio anymore. That's mm. all they said to us. But and, and it was only after that that we realized that as soon as that was going to happen, that the royalties were, in the way everybody was receiving them, were going to go away. Like I said, we didn't go into this with any idea that any money was going to be made because you know, like they were using Krishnas's name and his music that he selected was going to be up there. But he wasn't getting paid for the channel, if you know what I mean. Right, right. There was there was none of that. There is none of that. The channel still exists. Um, so it's unfortunate that the royalties uh, that people were relying on have have gone away, and that I'm sure has caused a lot of difficulties for for many of the artists. You know, when you start to depend on something, yes, um, and it goes away. That's that's hard. I yes. can understand that. Yeah. And that's just the way it goes. I mean, with so many things moving online. Uh, well, no a lot of artists wrote to me, you know, I've had a lot of interaction with them and, and they just said, well, I guess we're just glad it was a blessing that we had it for these years. Yeah. And that's the only way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, entire careers are being decimated because of of this and not to mention all the other arts photography and journalism that are also absolutely affected um and no one really knows where it's going or what the new model is to emerge but if you're caught in the middle uh it can be pretty scary it is i mean we're dealing with that like i was saying to you know about krishnas's music all being on youtube like it's taken us forever to even understand how you can monetize and get something for the fact that your music is being used by other people on YouTube. And it's very small. I mean, it's really, it's like pennies. It's, it's not much to be had there. So, yeah, it's not really a good place to be thinking you're going to make a lot of money. No. That's for sure. No. How's he doing? How's his uh, sabbatical going? 
Um, his sabbatical is wonderful. I'm so happy for him that he's been able to, uh, you know, it's very short because he was meant to be a year, but like everybody else, he has bills to pay. And as he says himself, he doesn't really know how to do anything else. <laughs> he would pump gas if he wasn't singing. Yeah. So as long as people want to sing with him, he'll sing. But we have to find a way for him to not have to tour the way he did. You know, when in the last 10, 15 years, he was on the road for 200 days of the year and singing 100 days out of those 200 days. Oh, my which is a lot. And, you know, he's heading to, you know, he's very youthful in his appearance and the way he does things, but he's, you know, he's going to be 69 this year. So, uh, certain, I feel like we want to look at a way in which to pace things a little differently. He of course loves to travel everywhere and sing with as many people as he can. But he realized that he needed to slow down and not constantly be in this travel mode, as he was describing, where his suitcases are open in the living room and he's always looking for when his next itinerary is coming in and he has to leave. So for all that to stop and slow, first slow down and to even stop, it's now he stopped touring at the end of February. So month of March has gone by and we're in April and he's slowed down. He's sleeping. Oh, good. Uh, he's taking care of his health, which was something he didn't have a lot of time to do. Um, and, you know, I think uh, if he had more time, he might be able to take more retreats for himself and like maybe do more of his own personal practice in a deeper way. If that should arise, he might have time to do that as well. Uh, but I'm I'm very glad that he's been able to do it. But, you know, come end of August, it's pretty much going to start up again, the touring. Mm. Well, I mean, which is fine. He, maybe that all he needed was this rest time. So as long as, like I said, as long as people want to sing with him, he'll go and sing. Yes, and perhaps that will give him a, a baseline so that it'll, he'll be more rested and be able to go out and, and, and do what he does Mm. Um, but when you're doing as much as, as he has been doing, that's, yeah. that's just a brutal travel schedule. Wow. It, it was pretty brutal. And, um, yeah, so I think he's actually really enjoying his downtime right now and he wants to remain connected to people, you know, so we've been doing some online stuff. I've seen, I've seen that a lot of it. It's good. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. been doing a lot of little video stuff and we're actually going to do a live uh, like a, an online satsang on May 20th. Hmm. And uh, we're, it's, we're limiting the group size to 200 people instead of having a, a, an infinite number of people so that people can actually send in their questions and it can be more interactive, like his workshops. You've been to his workshop, right? Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah. yeah. So like that idea. Um, and we'll do another one in June. And then he's going to do one retreat here in Garrison, in the, which is near his home, where people can come. Uh, that's July 20th to 24th. Hmm. And then in between, he's going to sit with a few lamas. He's going to go away to Bernie Glassman's Bearing Witness Retreat. You know, this is all for his own core practice, mm -hmm. where he's not teaching, but he's, he's a student. Well, 
we all need to do that to refresh our own mm-hmm. our own springs so that we yeah. can bring bring it you know yeah. <laughs> bring it well bring yeah. it and just for his own you know for himself sure i loved to listen to his lectures uh, and I and I do because I always learn something, and he has a really unique way of putting things that yeah. cuts right to the heart of the matter, and uh, it's very practical. Even yeah. though he's talking about a guru, uh, which you know could be very woo woo if you really kind of you know don't get into that stuff. The stuff around it is just so applicable to daily life, and um, I play him often in our satsang. Yeah, uh, and so. I'm I'm really glad that he enjoys what he does because boy we sure enjoy him you know for he's sure. just a treasure sure. I mean for me you know meeting him it brought me back to you know this traditional practice of chanting but the best the biggest gift of all was that he more than anybody else has helped me understand how spiritual practices can be integrated into your life and that it's not any anything different from your life. It's the same thing. Mm. Um, that's the beauty of it. And that's when he started getting invitations to go and sing in India. He was, you know, he'd say to me, well, why, why would I go and sing there? Why would they want to sing with me? You know, what a white guy, for, you know, a Jewish guy from America going to go and sing and Indians want to come and sing with him in India. And I said, I really think that as you did for me, um, you helped me understand the value of this traditional practice. And in the olden days in India, it was an understood, it was accepted by everybody. But there's been a modernization in India with some, where some of these values have been lost. And he has brought it back <laughs> to them. And you can see that when they go to sing with him and they come to the workshops and they love talking to him because he's so real, you know? Yes. Well, you know, India is the second. Downloads of the podcast, The United States, is is uh, first, but India is second. I know. <laughs> which, which really surprises me, you know? Uh, like, wow. So there's a resurgence of it. Uh, have you by any chance seen San- Sanjay's super team? The, the short, the animated short that was nominated for an Academy Award this year? Yeah, I did. I it, did. It's, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. I, and that kind of goes right to that, that, you know, yeah. it's traditional and rejected and then all of a sudden becomes applicable to, to the young boy's life, you know? Yeah. And I, I, just, I showed that for the satsang. I just love that. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's, uh, it is applicable to our life and it's, it's just, it's just getting past just getting past the inherent reaction to it, which is like, oh, this is a little weird. But I'm finding that if I concentrate on the experience people have, you know, that this is an experience, you don't have to believe anything. You can, and that adds to it, but you don't have to. And just get into the experience of it. People find it to be a lot more relatable. Um, the experience of chanting? Yeah, like yeah. what it does to your body and how it helps you to feel cal- just feel calmer, the feelings of it. Sure. You know, um, and I tell people, I guarantee you will not be in the same frame of mind when you leave as you are when you come in, because it just will it will shift things for you. Mm-hmm. And um, but anyway, well, this has been great. 
I really appreciate you coming on today and talking to us about all these things. And I'm so glad KD's having a great sabbatical. I'm glad he's taking care of himself because uh, we love him and we need him. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.